The scripture reading for this morning is from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And he, that is Jesus, sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Before we jump in, I have to say, um, last night I was laying in bed and I thought, man, I wish we were singing Rejoice, the Lord is King. And, you know, I, have, I could have checked online. Like, we have that. I could look and see what we were doing. And I was like, I can't call Keiko this late. It's... And then this morning I was like, oh, man, should I call her? She's really, really good. They could... And I was like, no, I can't call her. How awesome that that was the first song we sang. <laughs> oh, God is good. All right. Let's jump in. So, uh, boy, what a contrast between last week and this week when it comes to our passage. Last week, we saw the scribes, you know, who were putting on a show, you know, how righteous they were, how much they expected people to honor and to bless them. And then here this morning, we have this widow. You know, what a, what a contrast between the self-serving devotion and the hunger for glory and the praise of man that you saw in the scribes last week. And this widow who is willing to give up everything in order to glorify someone else, not seeking glory for herself. Last week, we saw that the scribes were actually consuming widows' households. And here's a widow who's willing to give up everything. If last week was a picture of self-serving consumption, then what we have here is a picture of self-giving devotion. And then within our text, we have this contrast between this widow and the rich who are making great contributions to the offering box, giving large sums, the text tells us, out of their abundance. And they are contrasted with this widow who is giving literally next to nothing. Compared to what the wealthy were giving, it was, in fact, next to nothing, at least by human measurements. But to her and to God, it meant everything. In fact, literally where it says at the end of uh, verse, uh, verse 44, she gave out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. That phrase, all she had to live on, could literally be translated, she gave her whole life. She gave her whole life to God. Now we'll talk in the sermon in a little bit about whether or not God is calling us to give away everything. You will not be surprised to find that I will say that God is not calling every Christian to give away everything that they own. You may be surprised and a little disconcerted when I say that God is calling us to give away more than everything that we own. He's calling us to give away our whole life to God. For now, we need to be challenged in the same way that the disciples in this passage were challenged, and that is by asking, what does our giving, regardless of the amount, what does our giving reveal about our heart's true devotion? 
What does our giving reveal about what our hearts are really devoted to? We're going to get at the answer to that question by looking at three things from the text. First, the giving. Second, the withholding. And third, the renewing of our devotion to God. So the giving of devotion to God, the withholding of devotion to God, and then third, the renewing of our devotion to God. But first, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you'd be with us now as we look at this passage, which we thank you has been preserved for us down to this very day. Lord, this story, it mattered to you that we have it. And so we pray that by your Spirit, you'll be working in us. Lord, ultimately, that we might find as a result of your work in our hearts through this word, Lord, that we might find that our hearts are more deeply devoted to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so first, the the giving of devotion to God. This woman is an example of a life completely devoted to God. Let's talk about the setting real quick. The setting is the court of women. It was the first inner court as you made your way out into the temple area. So you went through the court of Gentiles, which is where they were last week, and now they're making their way in toward the temple, center proper, the center of the temple, and and they're in the court of women. And in in the court of women, there were a series of 13 offering boxes. They were shofar chests, right? They were, they were you know, kind of fashioned after the, the, the Hebrew instrument, a shofar, a trumpet-like instrument. These were 13 large metal chests. They were narrow at the top and they were wide at the bottom. They were placed along one wall of the court of women. They were inscribed with the names of various kinds of offerings on them. And so, you know, here's Jesus. He's in the court of of women. He finds a seat opposite the wall in which all these shofar chests were lined up. And he's watching people putting, but the word, the Greek word actually literally is throwing, throwing their coins, into the offering boxes. And you can imagine these wealthy people who are bringing large sums would have been gold or silver or gold and silver coins that they were literally throwing into the offering box. You can imagine the noise that that made as that sound was funneled back up through and everyone could hear the sound of the offering being dropped in the shofar chest. And then Jesus noticed these, uh, this widow come up with her two small coins. Those coins were literally known as lepta. That's the name of the coin. We have a penny. They were a lepta. And the word lepta lepta literally means a tiny thing. That's what they named this coin. It was the smallest coin in circulation at the time. Her two lepta were worth one-sixty-fourth of a denarius. Now, a denarius was the income that a laborer in that day would make for one day. So in today's wages, if you work an eight-hour workday at $15 an hour, her two lepta would be equivalent to $1.92. And she put them both in. I said in the introduction that this was a deliberate act of devotion on her part. Why did I say it was a deliberate act of devotion? She put them both in. She could have held one back for herself. Jesus pulled his disciples over and he began to teach them and he pointed out that her small gift exceeded that of the wealthy. Guys, she gave more. How how could that be, right? They gave a percentage of their wealth, some percentage 
of their wealth, presumably without pain. And she gave everything. Again, literally, her whole life. She's exemplary in a number of different ways. She's exemplary because we see in her a picture of true devotion to God over against the scribes who were truly devoted to themselves. She's exemplary in that we see in her a reflection of the fact that God is not impressed with the things that often impress man. You can imagine the people that were in the court of women as the offerings are being you know, given, being very impressed with the clanging of the coins of the wealthy as they dropped into the, into the shofar chest. God is more impressed with the nearly inaudible sound of those two small copper coins making their way down to the bottom of the chest. Ultimately, she's an example of what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which Jesus had just taught back in chapter 12, verse 30. This is what it looks like for her to love the Lord her God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength when it came to her giving. You see, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength has to have feet in your life. It looks like certain things. And this is what it looked like for her. Now, again, everybody around her would have thought of the rich. Look at how much they love God. Look at how much they're giving. And Jesus said, look at how much she's giving. That's what it looks like to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The Bible calls us to show the same kind of devotion to God. The Bible calls us to show the same kind of devotion to God. Now, you know, need to qualify that. God does not call the vast majority of people to give away everything that they own. And we know that from a couple different places in Scripture. We know from what Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, that if a person will not provide for his own family, he is worse than an unbeliever. That does not mean, it's not referring to someone who cannot provide because they're without work. It's referring to someone who will not provide, who refuses to work in order to provide for his family. The underlying principle being that we have a responsibility to provide for our families. And so to quit your job and to give away everything would be an abdication of that scriptural responsibility. To give away everything would also make yourself dependent on the contributions of others that should be going to people who are not poor by choice. And then finally, I think it's also important to recognize that in 1 Timothy 6, where Paul is instructing Timothy how to lead his church, programmatic for all churches, Paul says to Timothy, listen, the wealthy in your congregation, command them to be generous. He doesn't say command them to be poor, to give away everything. If you have an ESV study Bible, which if you don't, I hope you pick one up. It is such a great resource. ESV study Bible, in this section, they have a giving chart that's really super helpful. I'm just going to hit it real quick in the context of this sermon. Uh, Five things they point out concerning what the New Testament says our giving should be like. First of all, our giving should be willing and cheerful. 
willing and cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So our giving should be willing and cheerful. Second, our giving should reflect a regular pattern of life. So in 1 Corinthians 16, each of you, or on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. First day of every week, set aside something. It's to be a regular pattern of your life. Third, our giving should be proportionate to our ability. Also in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, each of one of you is to put aside something and store it up as he may prosper. So there's proportionality to our giving. Fourth, our giving is to be generous. And here's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He writes this, In a severe test of affliction, the Macedonians' abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave beyond their means. And then fifth, our giving should be sacrificial. And the ESV Study Bible points us back to this passage that we have before us this morning in the generosity, the sacrificial generosity of the widow. So willing and cheerful, a regular pattern of life, proportionate to one's ability, generous and sacrificial. What it's not about in the New Testament is a fixed percentage. It is not about a fixed percentage in the New Testament. The one place where 10, 10% is commanded is commanded to Pharisees who were tithing their herbs but neglecting the weightier matters of justice and mercy. And so for them, operating out of their system in the Old Testament, Jesus says, you ought to be you know, continuing to do the former, but also do the latter. Sure, keep tithing your, your garden herbs, but you ought to be not neglecting the weightier matters of justice and mercy. That's the one place. Elsewhere in the New Testament is all about sacrificial giving, the kind of giving that I just laid out in that New Testament giving chart from the ESV Study Bible. Here's the thing. If we were to lay down the mandate of 10%, which, first of all, would be going beyond what the New Testament teaches, it would be contrary to that, but the fact of the matter is 10% could be nothing for someone who is extremely wealthy, or it could be crushing for someone who is in poverty. And so it is not about a percentage when it comes to New Testament giving. It is about the heart. Christians are called to radical generosity from the heart. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity put it in a way that is helpful, um, but certainly challenging. He says this, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. So biblical giving is sacrificial, proportional, and from the heart. And the question again is, does your giving reflect your devotion to God. And then also, what does what you hold back reveal? Let's move on secondly to the withholding of our devotion from God. Why do we hold back more than we should? And the problem is in the heart, 
And so consequently, the problem is the idols of our heart. The things that we look to for life, for meaning, for significance, for happiness, apart from God. We tend to, I think, look to things that can be grouped under certain headings. Approval, comfort, control, security. We use people, we'll use possessions in order to acquire those things, those things that we think we cannot live without. In other words, it's never about the money in the bank account. It's always about something you think that money will get you that will bring you what your heart truly desires. So it could be in the sake of the, for the, in the example of the rich here in this passage that what they were looking for ultimately was the approval of man. I want people around me to notice how much I'm giving. I want them to hear the noise as I drop these coins into the offering box. Approval could have been the thing that they were pursuing. Now, our giving is much more in secret here. In fact, none of us, other than the treasurer, knows what any of you give. And so we don't necessarily have ways to give as publicly as the people in the, in the, in the passage did today. But... We can still find ways if our heart's set on getting approval through giving to make sure that what we've given is known. Drop little hints here and there. So approval may be what we're ultimately pursuing, just like perhaps the wealthy were in this passage. Or it could have been a sense of control, and in particular, a sense of wanting to control God. God, do you see how much I've given you? You owe me now. Better life, a nicer car, bigger house. It's prosperity gospel. I give a lot and I expect a lot. Or it could be that we're looking for security. We're anxious about the future. We're fearful of what will happen as we get older. What if I lose my job? What if I can't work? And so we hold back because what matters more to us is not our devotion to God, but our security. And so we're stingy toward God and we're stingy toward others who are in need. Or it could be that we really want comfort. I want to live now. I mean, heaven will be great, (laughs) but I want a nice car now. Or whatever it may be. All of those examples, all the things that we live for other than God reflect that ultimately what we are seeking to do with our wealth is build the kingdom of self, not the kingdom of God. And what the Bible tells us is that God has given us his resources. He has blessed us abundantly so that we could invest in what he is doing and not seek to build our own kingdoms. Now, that can look differently for uh, a number of different people in a number of different ways. Uh, There's an example I want to give, Robert Letourneau. Does that name mean anything? Letourneau? Okay. Letourneau Christian Camp is on the east side of Canandaigua Lake. Robert Letourneau was a Christian. He is considered the father of the modern earth-moving industry. (laughs) Because I guess he basically invented the modern earth-moving industry. Anyway, he was highly successful, earned a lot of money, And as a Christian, he decided, you know what? I'm going to actually 
choose to give away 90% of my income and live on just 10% of it. And so this is what it looked like for him to invest in the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of self. He founded a Christian university in Texas. He founded the Laterno Christian Center on the east side of Canandaigua Lake. That's what it looked like for him to demonstrate his devotion to God through the use of the resources that God had entrusted to him. The question we each need to ask is, what does it look like for us? As you think about the resources that God has entrusted to you, what does it look like for you to demonstrate your devotion to God through the way in which you live and how you invest the resources that you have been given? Again, the issue is the heart. So how do we then, third, renew our devotion for God? And there's two things that we really need to do, two things we need to remember. First, we need to remember our poverty of spirit. And second, we need to remember the riches of God's grace. In order to renew our devotion for God, and this is true across the board. I mean, I'm not talking about just giving. I'm just talking about living. In terms of renewing your devotion to God, it does come down to these two things that we need to remember. Remembering our poverty of spirit and remembering the riches of God's grace. Being poor in spirit. Remember Matthew, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, I think it's verse 3. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Being poor in spirit, I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, poverty of spirit is all about your attitude toward yourself. It's all about your attitude toward yourself. Poverty of spirit means realizing that when it comes to being worthy of salvation, we're just as poor as this widow was. Being poor in spirit means realizing that having all the money in the world amounts to less before the bar of God's judgment than the two copper coins that the widow dropped into the offering box as she was observed by the judge of all the earth. When you're poor in spirit, you're able to sing Charles Wesley's hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, believing that the line, just and holy is thy name, I am all unrighteousness, really does apply to you. Only then will you realize that God is drawn near. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Only as you realize that are you then able to continue on with Wesley's hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul, by singing, vile and full of sin I am, but thou art full of truth and grace. Remember your poverty of spirit, but then secondly, remember the riches of God's grace. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because he first loved us. If we're called to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves, what is the compelling motive? What is it that will enable us to do that? And John tells us in 1 John 4.19, we are able to love in that way precisely because God first loved us. So then what does it look like to love God when it comes to our wealth, what it looks like 
reflecting on how God's love touches on our wealth. The Apostle Paul tells us how in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is challenging the church in Corinth to sacrificially give. There was a famine going on in Jerusalem at the time. And Paul was making his way throughout uh, the region. He was challenging these Gentile churches to give to the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And to the church in Corinth, he said, I want you, first of all, to notice the sacrificial giving of the Macedonians. Look at how these poor Macedonians, having demonstrated or, or having appropriated in their hearts the love of God for them in Christ, gave sacrificially. And then Paul goes on and says, to the church in Corinth this. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that we by his poverty might become rich. In our poverty of spirit, we have received the riches of God's grace. In your poverty of spirit, do you recognize that you have received the riches of God's grace. Jesus gave up the comfort that we hunger for and think we need apart from God. Jesus gave that up in order to have you. Jesus gave up the control that we so often seek, thinking that if we just have control over our future, we'll be okay. Jesus gave that up and gave himself over willingly to those who would rob him of his life. Jesus gave up approval. He, he gave up comfort. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. Jesus gave up all these things that we cling to in order to have you. I love the way Tim Keller put it. You will always give everything to have your heart's true treasure. Jesus is the only treasure who gave up everything in order to have you. You will always give everything to have your heart's true treasure. Jesus is the only treasure who gave up everything in order to have you. The widow gave all she had to live on, but Jesus gave his very life. He who was rich for our sake became poor so that we through his poverty might become rich. In the introduction, I said that God is calling you to give something more than your money to God. What is it that he wants? He wants your whole life. Your whole life. Paul in Romans 12, 1 to 2 said this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the call of the Christian life. God, everything I am and everything that I have is yours. Whatever you have for me in the future is something that you are calling me to give to you for your purpose, to lay it on the altar before you, God, to be used to whatever end you decide, and that includes my very life. In other words, it is about the heart, not about what you've given. When your heart is devoted to God, not just your money, but your everything, your life follows And that is what God wants. He's not concerned about the number on the line for those of you who still write checks. I'm not sure what the Venmo equivalent of this, you know, would be. But he's not concerned about the number on the line. He's concerned about the love and devotion in your heart. 
He doesn't want the long robes or the showy prayers of the scribes. He doesn't want, you know, the clanging, impressive offering of the rich in this passage. He wants your heart. And he will gladly receive whatever offering flows from it. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us to see not just the resources you provide, but our very lives as belonging to you. You purchased us for yourself. We who wanted nothing to do with you have been rescued only by your grace. Everything we have, including the very breath in our lungs, is a result of your grace and mercy. So when it comes to the way in which we live our lives, Lord, help us to be people who are pursuing the priorities of your kingdom out of heartfelt devotion to you because of the love and the devotion that you demonstrated to us at the cross of your son, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.